Happy Sabbath, church. We welcome you back to online church today, and we hope you've been enjoying it so far. This month's theme is I'm In, and today's guest speaker, Pastor Simon, will be talking to you about I'm Invited. So, Joel, what was your favorite and worst thing about online church? My favorite thing about online church so far is being able to wake up at 10.50 a.m. right before church starts and going downstairs to watch church. And my worst thing about online church so far is missing out on all the Pathfinder events and not being able to go to the youth socials. And what about you, Dinah? My worst thing about um, church, online church, is um, not, having, not being around my friends in the presence of God. And my favourite thing about um, online church is actually being in my pyjamas and being comfortable. We hope you enjoy church today. Good morning, everybody, and it is really exciting to be here this morning at Castle Hill Church. Now, I will begin by saying I am slightly disappointed, and I'm slightly disappointed because I really did want to be with you all in person. Uh, One of the reasons I love to get out and to visit the churches and just to see what's happening out and about is so that I can actually come and connect with the people that are there, and especially our young people, um, to get to know our young people from around the conference. But... Uh, We're doing what we can do, and I'm still excited to be able to share a message with you today. So before I dive into the Word, uh, we're just going to begin with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to worship this morning. We just pray that your spirit would be present. We pray that you would guide and that you would lead, and that Jesus might touch our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by telling you guys a little bit of a story. Uh, Last year was my very first chance to do a little bit of uh, skiing. When I say skiing, I'm talking about snow skiing, right? So I've never been snow skiing before in my whole life. My wife decided that it would be a great idea for us to go snow skiing where we went to the snow camp Shredder. So that's our kind of youth camp. Um, for snow skiing and that kind of stuff. And so I said, okay, sure, this is going to be heaps of fun. We're going to give it a try. And so off we went to shred it. Now, uh, you can imagine, it was a Saturday night. Everybody goes out. They're ready to go snow skiing and that kind of thing. And I went up to the beginner's section. So there's like this little beginner's section there on, on Perisher. And there's heaps of kids and stuff doing it. And then there's a few different age groups that are doing it as well. And you can tell everybody's a noob, right? You can tell that everybody's a beginner. People are struggling, that kind of thing. So here I am uh, doing my little beginning as a, as a snow skier. And you can imagine, just on that little tiny hill there on the side of Perisher, I stacked it a few times. I was doing the old side-to-side trick that they get you to do, just trying to work out this whole snow skiing thing. So anyways, after a little bit, I suddenly feel a whole lot more confident. Came to Sunday morning, and on Sunday morning, we decided that we were, we were going to try and, and, and embrace the big mountain. Now, when I say the big mountain, I'm still talking about the beginner's one, right? We're talking about, what are they, a green run or something like that, a really easy run. So I decided that we're going to give a go at this, this green run, this really easy run that's right there at the front in Perisher. So you can imagine, down I went, and no problems at all. In fact, before you know it, I started to actually get the whole side-to-side thing happening really well, just mastering the snow skiing. Felt amazing. So anyway, Brittany says, oh, you're getting so much better. You're picking this up so quick. You're such a natural. You know, this is great. And then she says to me, here's what I want you to do. Let's go to that next run over there. And I said to him, oh, are you sure? Like, 
you know, is that run okay? She's like, yeah, 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 it's fine. It's a blue run. Blue runs are for easy, you know, easy people. And, and she said, the black runs, they're the ones that you've got to watch. You don't want to go on a black run, right? So I said to Brittany, okay, sweet. I, I trust you. Um, whatever you think. Pretty much this is how it happened, right? As we would go down the mountain, I would just follow Brittany down the mountain. And if she was going a bit faster, I'd maybe try and go a little bit faster and keep up. But if she was going slow, then I would just go slow. So off we went. We started out down this little blue run. And I remember just going so slow. As we're moving through this thing, I just remember going so slow because there were kind of like trees off to the side. And I didn't want to go off to the side and stack it into a tree. But after a bit, you know, I started to get a little bit more confident. I started to feel a little bit better. And so there we were. We're floating down the mountain and things were going really, really nice. Now, all of a sudden, as I mentioned, I was following Brittany, right? So all of a sudden, as we're going down the mountain, as I'm following Brittany down the mountain, she decides that she's going to take a bit of a turn and she goes down this track off to the right. I remember it being off to the right. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, no worries. Brittany's shooting off there to the right. Well, that must be where the track goes. And so I guess it's best if I just also shoot off there to the right. So here we are. We're, we're shooting off to the right. And as I get into this, this, this track off to the right, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not so sure that this is the track that we're supposed to be on. I mean, he, here's the thing, right? I, I'm skiing down this mountain and there's like houses right there. And I'm thinking, surely the houses wouldn't be that close to the side of the track. And then as we're going down, there's all this like bush and rubble and the track is really, really rough. And then I'm looking ahead and I'm thinking, this just doesn't seem right. Now, mind you, I'm going pretty fast. So I'm, I'm holding on as best as I possibly can. And I'm looking ahead. And as I'm looking ahead, we're coming up to this, uh, it's, it's like that, that orange barrier kind of stuff. And I believe on the other side of it, there's a drop off. So you've got to turn so you get onto the track. It's about at this point that I realized that when Brittany decided to go to the right, when she decided to shoot off the mountain, uh, she was going off the track altogether. She didn't realize, but she decided just to go off the side of the track. And we've gone straight through the bush now. And we're coming back towards the track. And I have to make the turn. If I don't make the turn as we come down, right? If I don't make the turn, what's going to happen is I'm going to go straight off the side of this mountain. And that's probably not going to be pretty. So this is my first uh, skiing experience, right? My second day. Second day there out and, and skiing. Now I'm watching Brittany. She's out in front of me. And as, as Brittany is out in front of me, she comes down to the position where she's just about to take that turn. And you can imagine she just takes it smoothly and beautifully with zero problems. And I'm following her and I'm thinking to myself, there is no way in the world, there is no way on the planet that I am going to be able to make this turn. So there's two options, right? The first option is to attempt the turn. And you just hope upon hope that you pull it off. The second option for me that day is the option of stack it. So it's make the turn or stack it. Well, being the very professional skier that I was, very experienced, knew exactly what I was doing, I chose option two, which was stack it. Off the side of the mountain, never going to make the turn, crash, bang, boom, big stack. That was my uh, second day of skiing. Quite an experience. Quite an experience. Now here's the whole thing about experience that I want us to think about for a second. I believe in life that experiences are one of the best things that we can have. 
You know, sometimes we get gifts and that kind of things as, as, as presents. You might have noticed now, a lot of people, instead of giving like a gift, like a tangible, physical kind of gift, a lot of people now are buying people experiences because they realize there's so much value in these experiences. They realize that there's so much memory in these experiences. Experiences are really powerful things. Experiences are really valuable things. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with experiences. Sometimes, you know, we have all these things that we do in life. We think, yeah, these are amazing. I love these experiences. I love what I'm going through. I love what's going on. But what I really, really, really want is an experience with God. Sometimes we, we, we kind of look around and we may see these Christians who are on fire for Jesus and we're thinking to ourselves, you know, how is it that they come to that place where they just, they just love God? It seems like they're really, really experiencing God and I want to have what they have. I actually want to have this experience with Jesus. I want to have this, this experience with God. Maybe you're in church life. This one's for the young people, right? Maybe you're in church life and, and you're thinking to yourself, I just don't want to have this regular old church life, do this, do that, go through the, 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 the kind of steps that everybody else goes through, but not necessarily experiencing God. Maybe you look at this whole picture and you're thinking to yourself, I really, 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 really want to have a real experience with Jesus. Well, here's the thing. I really believe that you can have that experience with Jesus. In fact, if you look through the Bible, we see, we see stacks of occasion where people are having these crazy experiences with God. I want to talk about one for a second, this, this one that Peter and John had. In Acts chapter 3, we see this picture, this description of Peter and of John. And the Bible tells us that they're going down to the temple about the hour of prayer. And as they're making their way down to the temple, they come across this guy. And he's kind of just sitting off to the side there and he's begging. So here's this guy, right? He's sitting off there to the side and he's begging. And, and, and you know, when I say he's begging, like he's, he's begging for money. He's a lame guy, the Bible tells us, so he can't walk. But he's just kind of hoping maybe that someone would give him some money. And so he casts his eyes, the Bible tells us, he casts his eyes on Peter and John. And they look at him as if to say, hey, man, why do you want money from us? Do we look like we're rich? And he looks back. And he fixes his eyes on Peter and John as if to say, yes, give me something. So Peter turns to him. And here's the text, Acts chapter 3, verse 6 to 10. It says, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Think about this here for a second. This is a crazy experience. This is a Holy Spirit experience. Here we have Peter and John. They're walking down to the temple and all of a sudden they heal a man that couldn't walk and then the man can walk. This is a Holy Spirit experience. I'm wondering how many of us out there want to have that kind of experience with God. We're looking around and we're saying to ourselves, no, I don't want to have some kind of average experience with God. I believe that God can do powerful things. I actually want to have 
an experience with God. Well, the first thing that I want to say about it is this. The first thing I want to say to you today is, I believe God can give you that experience. I believe that God can give you that experience. What, what sort of experience am I talking about? I'm not necessarily saying that, 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 that God's going to you know, use you to, to make uh, uh, lame people walk, although maybe he will. But what I'm talking about is that day in, that day out connection with God where you just see him moving in your life, working in your life, guiding your life. I believe that God wants to give you that experience. Matthew 28, notice what Jesus said. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Here we see this picture of Jesus, right? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Jesus says that he will be with us to the end of the age. Now, Jesus is not playing here. Jesus is not lying here. Jesus is not making stuff up in this space. We come now to the book of Revelation. Some of you guys have been tuning in with us. Uh, Wednesday night Bible studies, Revelation with the youth directors. Some of our, a stack of our young people have been tuning in. Here's one of the beautiful things that I picked up. Revelation 5. Revelation 5 is this great picture of heaven itself. So we have God seated on the throne. He's surrounded by angels. He's surrounded by the 24 elders, the Bible tells us. In Revelation 5 verse 2, The Bible says, and I saw a strong angel. So this is John in vision, right? John sees a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. It's a question that's asked. The strong angel in the midst of heaven, this heavenly scene where God is on the throne and the angels are surrounding, he says, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And the response comes, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So John wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Now, here's the thing. I want you guys to get the picture. What's this whole scroll thing talking about? Well, if, you, if, if you go back, uh, actually, you can't go back and watch it because I just remembered we didn't actually record that session. But anyways... If you go and study Revelation chapter 5, you will find out that the scroll represents two things. Whoever takes the scroll is worthy to be king. Whoever takes the scroll is worthy to be king. John here is drawing, he's seeing this this imagery of, of what used to take place in the Old Testament. When a king was throned as king, he was given the scroll of the covenant. So whoever takes the scroll is worthy to be king, but not, not, not so much an earthly king in this situation. Whoever takes the scroll in this situation is worthy to be the king of heaven itself. The second thing is this, the contents of the scroll are essentially outlined in the book of Revelation, in these prophecies that lead us to the coming of Jesus. So this is the big point. Whoever takes the scroll is worthy to be king. Whoever takes the scroll is worthy to lead God's people home. And John's weeping. John is weeping because he cannot see a savior in this picture. He cannot see anybody in this picture who is worthy to be king. He cannot see anybody in this picture who is worthy to lead the fallen people, the fallen race of humanity home. But then we see in the text, verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. 
Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though as it, as it had been slain. Here we see, friends, this picture of Jesus himself. Here we see this picture It's not any kind of average picture, but we see this picture of Jesus himself right there in the midst of heaven. And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 7, then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. This is the picture that the Bible is trying to give us of Jesus. The Bible is actually trying to give us a picture of Jesus as the king of heaven. The Bible is trying to give us a picture of Jesus as the one who will lead God's people home. So does he have authority? Can he actually give you a crazy experience with him? Can he move in your life day in and day out? I really believe that God can absolutely move in your life. And I really believe that he wants to. I really believe that he wants to. Jesus is the king of heaven. There's nothing really that Jesus cannot do. The question is this today. The question is, will you actually be all in? Will you actually be all in? Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when I'm talking about all in, I'm talking about, you know, you, you know, Jesus is kind of just up there and he's waiting. Essentially, he's just waiting to give us a powerful experience with him. But the reality is in life is that we so often get caught up, sidetracked and, and distracted from what it is that God has called us to. So he's got this amazing experience for us, ready to be had. But so often we're interested in this, we're interested in that, we're sidetracked with this, we're sidetracked with that. And, and, and we just get so distracted that we never really get to walk in the thing that God has called us to walk into. We never get to actually have that experience that God wants us to have. So I want to ask you today, are you actually ready to be all in when it comes to God? Are you, all, are you ready to be all in with service? Are you ready to be all in with the kingdom? Are you ready to be all in when it comes to actually investing in your local church that can make a profound difference in the very community that we stand in? Are you ready to be all in? I just wonder where you're at. Today we're going to quickly look at the story of Peter and John. The story that leads up to them performing this powerful miracle. And we're going to look at just, just, just four key things. Four key things that help us to understand how we can be all in. Four key things that help us to understand how we can actually have a profound, how we can actually have a powerful experience with Jesus. So here we go, Acts chapter 1. We're building to Acts chapter 3. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Acts chapter 1 verse 13. And it continues and it says, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Here we have this picture of of, of the disciples of Jesus. There's a few others that are gathered there. And the Bible says that they are in one accord and that they are in prayer. Now we're leading up to Acts chapter 3, right? When we see this crazy kind of experience where, where, where Peter and John are walking along and they make this lame man walk. What's the first thing that we pick up? The first thing that we pick up is that these guys are in one accord. That's the first thing that we pick up. 
Now, here's the problem with our society today. In our society today, we, we really struggle to be in one accord. I posted this little thing on Facebook about this last night. Here's what happened. Here's what happens. In our social media world that we live in, we're often kind of looking at what everybody else is doing. We forget that God has put a calling on our life. We forget that God wants to work in our life and do things in our life. And so what we're often doing is this. We're often actually just like looking around at what everyone else is doing. And as we're looking around at what everyone else is doing, we're starting to compare ourselves to others. And and, and we're thinking to ourselves, well, maybe I should be doing that. And sometimes we feel insecure, right? Sometimes we feel like others are better than us or, or, or they've got it all together because we see the crazy things that they're doing and we're thinking to ourselves, oh, how come I'm not like that? And then what happens then is sometimes in our insecurities, we actually start to hold grudges against other people. And sometimes we start to talk behind their backs and sometimes we start to gossip about them and we start to do all sorts of things. And, and before you know it, we are nowhere near in one accord. So when I ask you today, I just want you to think through your life, think through the people that are in your life and ask yourself, is there somebody out there that you don't get along with and why? Is there somebody out there that you don't really love and why? Is there somebody out there that, that, that you're just struggling with? Because the first thing that's really important, and especially when it comes to church life, is we actually have to be in one accord. My friends and I, we went to the Philippines, uh, not to the Philippines, to Malaysia. Did a little trip, did a little travel over to Malaysia uh, about, I think it's like six years ago. It was a, it was a while ago now. I was studying at Avondale College and uh, it was like our last kind of practicum thing we had to do. We had to go on this mission trip where we'd travel to Malaysia and we'd preach the gospel of Jesus and then we'd come home. So it was myself, it was my friend Nigel, it was my friend Lethan. Now, this evening, it was Lethan's turn to preach. So Lethan was up, there was a crowd there, big crowd, maybe three or four hundred people were ready to hear the word of God preach and it was Lethan's turn and Lethan comes along to myself and to Nigel and he says to us, he says, hey man, I'm, I'm feeling really sick. Like I think I've got a fever or something's come over me, I'm not really sure exactly what's happening but I don't feel like I can, you know, do it tonight, I just feel really sick, I'm struggling. So I'm thinking to myself, ah, oh, well what are we going to do, maybe one of us will have to replace him. Um, maybe, maybe we'll just push him up there on the stage, you know what I mean, right? And just, just get him going like, yeah, 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 he'll be sweet, he'll be sweet, no problem. Well, Lethan says to us, can you guys pray for me? Now here's the thing, I remember, I'm, I'm thinking about this whole thing. We really liked each other, we were friends, right? And we were there for a reason, we were there, we were there to do God's work. And so we gathered around, the three of us, we gathered around, we put our hands on Lethan, we prayed for Lethan, we just said, hey God, if you can heal him, please heal him so that he can get up and that he can just speak your word that evening. And I, and I kid you not, the moment that we finished praying, he turned, at, he turned and he looked at us and he said, I feel better. Like I instantly feel better. He jumped up onto the stage that evening. <clears throat> he preached his sermon. He walked off the stage sat down and the fever came back on him immediately. Then we put him in the, in the car that we were in and off we went, took him back to his bed and put him in his bed. Why did God move? It, like, it, I, I'm not really sure God moved because of my faith because I'm coming at this whole thing with this Western mindset. I'm like, oh, Lethan's sick. Oh no, one of us will just replace him. You're out, Lethan. The next guy's up who's not sick. But Lethan says, no, 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 pray, pray, pray. 
And so we pray, and I believe it is because we were in one accord that God actually worked in that space. I believe it's because we were in one accord that God healed him. The first thing is this. If we want to have this all-in experience, then we actually have to stop holding grudges against people, comparing ourselves against people, looking... There's so much hate in the world that we live in today, but the only way to conquer hate is to conquer it with love. That is really the Christian experience. That is actually what Jesus is calling us to. So where are we at? Are we going to live in one accord? That's the first one. We're talking about this all in experience. Number one, we need to be in one accord. Number two, the idea of dangerous prayer. You can see it in the text. Peter, Acts 1, 13 and 14. James, John and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, these all continued with one accord and prayer. The text says that they continued with one accord and prayer and supplication. Now, some of you might come along today and say something along, along the lines of, you know, here comes the pastor again, and the pastor's telling us to pray again. So this is just like the old, you know, you might see this as just like the old, cliche, Adventist thing, pastor thing, Christian thing, however you want to view it, right? Pray. Oh, yeah, we've all heard that before. How's that actually going to give me some kind of experience with God? What actual difference is this whole prayer thing going to make in my life? Maybe that's what you're thinking. Well, I'd like to come back and ask you, what sort of prayers are you praying? What does your prayer life actually look like? In Psalm 139, there's a passage of Scripture that says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I want you to think about this here for a second. I wonder how many of us out there today are actually praying these kind of search me prayers. So when I'm talking about a search me prayer, I wonder how many of us out there today are actually saying, hey God, there's some stuff that's hidden in the depths of my heart that I want you to search out. And I want you to, I want you to show me what's actually happening down there. Hey God, I actually want you to, you know, like I actually want you to change me. I actually want, kind of, God, this is what I want you to do. I actually want you to search me, to, to, to break me, to rewire me with this kingdom mindset that actually lives for Jesus Christ, and once you've searched me and break me and rewired me, God, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to actually send me for you. The question I'm going to ask you guys is, I wonder how many of us are actually in that space where we're like, yeah, God, completely rewire my mind for the kingdom of God and then actually send me for you. Search me, break me, send me prayers. Here's the thing that I'm... I'm kind of convinced that, 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 that we're not praying a whole lot of send me prayers. I'm actually really, I'm actually like really kind of convinced about that. I remember when I was going to Avondale College, right? This is what would happen. <clears throat> when I was going through Avondale College, I remember we would sing songs and we would go to like Friday night church. 728 we called it back then. I don't know what they call it. I think they call it salt now or something like that. So we would go to like Friday night church and we'd be singing songs and be praising God. And, and then there'd be like midweek Bible studies. And, and it was just like this real, you know, kind of spiritual thing. And I remember when it would come around to uh, the times when like teachers and pastors and students and all that kind of stuff would get employed. 
or that have interviews to go to certain areas. And I remember having discussions with, with so many different students and so many different students would have this, this mindset of they were only going to go to the place that they really wanted to go. So they'd already picked the city in their mind, right? Maybe it was where their family was or where they grew up or whatever. And, and so often as students, right, they'd be like, yeah, if I get offered a job over there, there's no way I'm going there. There's only one place that I'll go. And I'm just kind of thinking to myself, is this, like in reality, is this actually Christianity? I'm thinking to myself, in reality, is this, is this actually a kingdom mindset? Think about this here for a second. What if Paul wouldn't go? What if Peter wouldn't go? What if Martin Luther wouldn't go? What if Jerome and Huss and the reformers that we see throughout the ages, what if the whites as pioneers of the Adventist church, what if none of those people would go? What if they just picked in their mind a certain spot that they would serve and, and, and that was it, but they weren't actually willing to go anywhere different? Here's another one to throw out at you today. Here's another one to throw at you today. What if God came to you, you know, what if God came to you this afternoon and God said to you, you know, that, that, that beautiful um, son or daughter that you have, here's what I want to do with them. I want to send them way out there in the Middle East somewhere as a missionary. Because there's places in our world that still don't know Jesus. What if God came and said, I want to send them to a different country. Or I want to send them to another state way across the other side of, their, uh, of, of Australia. I want, I've got this thing marked out for them. What if he came along and he said, I've got this journey for them. It's something like the journey that I had for the prophet Jeremiah. Where he stood and proclaimed God's word, but proclaiming God's word got him actually thrown into a pit. Nearly killed on a number of occasions. What if he said, you know, what I've got in store for your son or for your daughter is, 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 is a journey like the journey of Isaiah or one of the prophets. I wonder what we would actually say to that. I wonder how we would actually feel about that. Because here's what I've noticed. I've, I've kind of noticed that we're not, we're not a whole lot into the sending thing. But in fact, we're a whole lot into this keeping thing. Keeping ourselves in, in, in the most comfortable zone that we can be in. But I want to say this, friends. If, if, if somebody wasn't willing to be sent, we wouldn't even have a church. If somebody wasn't willing to be sent, we wouldn't be standing here today. We wouldn't be experiencing what we're experiencing today. We have to be willing to be sent. So when I come out now and I say, we have to pray, what I'm saying is, how are your prayers? Because we can say, no, no, that's a cliche thing. But I'm saying this, are we actually praying, search me God prayers? Are we praying, break me God prayers? Are we saying, are we praying, send me God where you would have me used kind of prayers? I think these are the prayers that the early church was praying. They're in one accord. They're praying these dangerous prayers. And then we see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 that they are in the word of God. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What are the apostles' teachings here? The apostles' teachings here are very simply the Bible. They're teaching the Old Testament, the prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. So I wonder how often we're in the Word. Because the Word will speak. The Word of God, I have no doubt that the Word of God will speak into your life. The Word of God speaks into my life all the time. I remember this one occasion really well when I, was an, I wasn't an apprentice anymore, but when I was working as a plumber. So this is something along the lines of probably 10, no, more than that. It's a while ago, years ago, right? 10, 12 years ago, something like that. Working as a plumber. 
and I just made my way back into church life. So I had a few wild years there, and, and I just made my way back into church life. I just made my way back into this relationship with Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When I was a plumber, right, <clears throat> well, when I was an apprentice in particular, I worked for this company, and, and what would happen is the older guys that I worked with, I noticed when I first rocked up, here's what they would do. They would kind of go and get, you know, uh, equipment, like materials from the company that we worked for, and I would notice them doing it. Like, they'd load a few of these materials in their ute at the end of the day or, like, middle of the day or whatever no one was looking, I guess. And, and, and they would take this stuff and off they would go on the weekends and after work and all that kind of thing. And they would do their own jobs. And then they would actually use the money that they'd make well, for themselves. They'd use the material for themselves. And they'd probably charge people for these materials. So I picked this up, right? I'm like, ah, oh, so that's what they do. They go and do their own little jobs and they take material from here and then they charge it out to somebody else and they make a bit of money, a bit of cash on the side. Now, if there's any tradesmen that are in here uh, uh, this morning, most of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you would have seen it before. I can just about guarantee. I've never worked for a company where there is not at least one or two tradesmen that do this. It's just like a common thing amongst tradesmen. I was going to say dodgy tradesmen, but that would be unfair because not everybody's dodgy. So anyways... You can imagine, I kind of picked up on this little trait. I kind of picked up on this little trait, and as, as they were doing, then I started to do. And, and, and then I became a Christian later on, and I'm starting to read through the Bible, and I come across this story by this guy, about a guy, sorry, by the name of Zacchaeus. This guy used to rip people off. Dodgy, kind of tax collector guy. I come across this story by the name of a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. And as I'm reading this story about Zacchaeus, I come to this realization that I've been ripping people off. And I should actually be paying some of that money back. Well, in fact, I should be paying all that money back plus. But I didn't have all that money plus. But God put it on my heart. And God actually put it on my heart to, 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 to send money back to those companies for what I'd actually taken. And, and, and I thought about it. I thought, oh, what's the purpose? Really, God, is that what you want me to do? But God kind of put it on my heart and said, you know what? You never know what I'm going to do. You never know what, how I'm going to touch somebody's life or, or how I'm going to work in somebody's life. The Word of God, this is my point, the Word of God is actually powerful. So here we have this picture of God's people. They're in one accord. They've got these dangerous prayers happening. They're in the Word of God. And the last thing that I want to bring to you today is they are in service. Acts 2, 42 to 47, here it is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Did you catch it? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Here we have a people that are living in service. They're just willing to give. So my question is this, I wonder where we're at. 
Like, I wonder where we're at with our spiritual journey because sometimes we can sit back and we can say, hey, God, why aren't you giving me this experience? Or sometimes we look back at the church and we think, you know what, I just, I just read the Bible and I look at the church and I think to myself, there's such a difference. I'm sure that this is supposed to be happening and that's supposed to be happening. The question I ask you is this, where are you at? Because you are the church. And how's your, how's, how's your journey with Jesus? Are you in one accord or do you have grudges against people? Are you a person who's, just, who's a prayerful person, praying those prayers, search me God, send me God, break me God? Are you a person who's diving deep into the word of God? And are you a person who's willing to serve? Are you a person who's actually willing to give and to serve? I read a story about a guy by the name of Eric Feldman. Eric Feldman. He was traveling to China and he went through Hong Kong on his way. Had a friend there. And you can imagine, Eric, the whole way that he was traveling, he was worried. As he was traveling, he was worried. And what he was worried about was he was actually worried about somebody asking him when he got to Hong Kong because he was a Christian and he had Christian friends. He was worried about somebody asking him to carry Bibles up into China. The legalities of it and all that kind of thing. He was a little bit concerned. So here he is. And anyways, he gets over and he, he meets up with his friend and his friend says to him, hey, there's somebody that I want you to meet. And he's thinking to himself, oh no, here we go. I know what they're going to do. I know what they're going to ask me, right? He goes with his friends and they go into this little apartment. And as they get there into this little apartment, he knocks on the door and uh, this, 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 this old Chinese man opens the door and he's kind of really bent over. It looks like he's had a really tough life. Comes out, meets him. Big smile on his face, says, hey, come in, come in. Comes in, they go down there to the back of the apartment. And, and the old Chinese man, his, his wife comes out. And these guys, they, you know, him and his wife, they, they're kind of chatting and they're laughing and they're giggling. They look really happy together. They look like they're just enjoying, you know, life together and, 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 and maybe even just a bit, just a bit, bit too much for like, while well, friends are there, you know. So here he is, this guy named Eric, right? He's looking and he's thinking to himself, man, these guys really, they really love each other, don't they? And the old couple kind of spots him and notices him and they, they also start laughing at him and then, and then he's feeling a little bit embarrassed and his friend kind of translates for him. He says, hey, they want you to know that they're newlyweds. He says, oh, they're newlyweds. He says, yeah, they want you to know that they're newlyweds. So, so the old man comes over and they begin to tell Eric his story. For the last 30 years, this old man had been in prison. He was a Christian, he was at seminary, studying there, when one day, the communist government came through and arrested a stack of people. This happened way back in 1949. Communist government came through, arrested a stack of people, and he was one of them. He got locked up in jail, and every year, they would come to him, and they would say something along the lines of, that's the guards or the, the, the general of the prison, whoever. He would come to this guy and he would say something along the lines of, hey, I know you're engaged to be married to that lovely young lady. 
if you would just renounce your Christianity, if you just renounce your Christianity right now, we'll let you go free. And every year, this old man would answer exactly the same thing. He would say, no. I won't do it. I won't do it. Every single year, he said the same thing. I won't do it. 30 years later, he was freed. 30 years later, and he was able to marry the woman of his dreams at last. In the morning, Eric had two bags packed full of Bibles ready to go to China because he realized there are so many people out there that are willing to give for Jesus. And he got to see it firsthand in this old man. He got to see it firsthand. So the question that I have for each and every person that's gathered here today is how much are you actually willing to give? How, how, how willing are you actually to be all in? Are you a person of prayer? Are you a person of one accord? Are you holding grudges against somebody? Are you a person who's deep in the word of God? Are you a person who, who, who wants to serve and give whatever it is that you've got for the kingdom of heaven? Or are you somebody that's kind of holding back? Are you somebody who's not willing to be sent? Are you somebody who's not willing to go? Here's the thing. We're not going to have the experience with God that God wants us to actually have if we're not willing to give. We're not going to have the experience that God actually really wants us to have if we're not actually willing to be all in for Jesus. So I want to ask you, where are you at? And are you willing to be all in? There's an experience that is waiting for you. Let's be of one accord. Let's pray dangerous prayers. Let's get deep in the word of God. And let's be willing to give. Join me as we close in prayer. Father in heaven, just want to thank you for our opportunity to pause today and just to open up scripture and just to dive in there and get an understanding of the experience that you want us to have. It's my prayer, Lord, that we will grow, that we will grow closer to you, that we would experience you more. It's my prayer that we just be all in. So I pray today, dear Lord, that you would forgive us for our shortcomings, that your name would be lifted up, by the way that we live our lives, now we would just be all in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.